The point of this is to provide the best facts-driven show that we possibly can. Ideally, you have a glue guy. Who is good? Hashtag glue guy. Hashtag locker room guy. You can't go sign Bobby Holik to a trillion dollars. You can't do these things. Very satisfying. The absolute best NYR show in town. This is the Liberty Blue. Liberty Blue. Rangers Podcast. Rangers Podcast. With Andrew Shelby. Andrew Shelby. And Nick Zoraris. Zoraris. Rangers fans, welcome to the best Rangers podcast in town. I am Andrew Chelney alongside Nick Zararis, and we are Liberty Blue. We scream out the Rangers so that you can save your voice. That's how much we deeply care about you, and we appreciate that you're along for the ride. This is episode seven live on Twitch. We're back on camera after a week of audio-only content. We'll put the full video up on our YouTube, Liberty Blue Podcast. And the full audio version will be available everywhere that you listen to podcasts, whether it be Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, wherever else. If there's something, there's somewhere that you listen to podcasts and it's not there, let us know. We'll put the show on there as well. Liberty Blue Pod is our Instagram. I am at Chelney Andrew, C H E L N E Y Andrew on Twitter. That uh, Nick Zararis is at Nick Z A R A R I S. Those are our personal handles to follow. And also we are Liberty Blue Pod on Twitter as well. Nick, most importantly, how was your vacation? You were telling me before the stream that there were a couple of, a couple of surprise guests out in the middle of July out on the beach. Tell us about that. Yeah, no, I, I was down in Wildwood, New Jersey for the last week. I was with my girlfriend. We had a nice week. We were there, what, Monday? Yeah, Monday to Friday. We came home Saturday morning. Uh, Friday, uh, I think yesterday was the 25th of July. I think today's the 26th. My days of the week. Today's the 25th. Up. Yeah, so today is six months from Christmas. So that weekend, uh, this is a big thing with old people. Like, I know when my grandma was around, she would always watch QVC in July. And Christmas in July was their big marketing thing to sell people discounts things at a non-crucial marketing time. But down the shore, you got to come up with creative ways to get people to come to your bar, your restaurant, whatever. And being that a lot of families are down the shore this time of year for vacation, they lean into the Christmas in July bit. So I was sitting there Friday evening with my girlfriend at dinner uh, and the MC is walking around with the microphone. There's a DJ up there and he goes, well, Santa and Mrs. Claus are going to be here in like an hour or so. And I'm like, What's, oh, he's, he's trying to be funny, whatever, whatever. And lo and behold, about 45 minutes later, an old older white guy with a beard down about yay high mid chest walked in wearing a Hawaiian shirt and shorts, started waving to people. They had toys up on the set for little kids to go up and talk to Santa and get a toy. And it's an interesting idea. Uh, I was very thoroughly amused. It was funny. It was a nice novelty of the last day of the vacation to see something like that. And then the next morning I was at breakfast, walked into the pancake place and there was the Grinch and Jack Skellington from a nightmare before Christmas. So even on the way out, got a little bit of the, the, um, the Christmas in July flavor. So I was thoroughly amused. It was a nice week away. I woke up Saturday morning with a stuffy nose. I've had a stuffy nose for the last three days. You might see here in the frame my humidifier, which I was deeply inhaling from the entire 40 minutes before we started recording to try and get through this. But I'm pretty good, Andrew. Uh, we're in the walls of summer now. There, There is not a lot of fresh content to talk about. So the first thing we have on our rundown of topics today, and this is something we didn't talk about last week, and I thought about it when I was putting this together, and I, I think Andrew and I do need to talk about this purely for just, if you're doing hockey content and you are not 
addressing the Hockey Canada stuff that is being reported by Rick Westhead and Katie Strang right now. You're not doing your audience a service. And I understand for a lot of people, if you don't have an athletic subscription, you aren't aware of Katie Strang beyond just her tweets on Twitter. And if you're not tapped into hockey or you're not a really invested person in hockey, you might not have come across Rick Westhead. Like I remember last year when the Brad Aldrich, um, Kyle Beach stuff was being reported by Rick. A lot of my friends from home that I have, that I talk to regularly from my friends from high school, my friends from college are like, so what's going on with that? Cause I keep seeing you tweeting about it, but I don't know where to read about it. And because there is so little, um, there's so little attention paid to these stories on a macro level in the United States because of how hockey media is here. A lot of people just don't hear about these things unless they have friends like me and Andrew who are really into, they are really aware of people in Canadian hockey media because in Canada, hockey is their sport. They treat hockey the way the United States treats American football. And it's why they have reporters specialized enough to be purely investigative reporters hockey reporters and and that is something that we didn't talk about it last week and we need to talk about this because this is the the same thing you you we talked about with Kyle Beach and Brad Aldrich last year this stuff keeps happening in hockey because the culture allows it to exist Katie and Rick are not the only people in the entire sports media industry who are paid to investigate things to do journalism which is what these people are purported to be when you look at what degrees these people have, what their profession is, it is journalist. It is not public relations arm. It is not media consultant. It is not make this information digestible for a wider audience. These are supposed to be people getting the facts to give the public actionable information. And because of people like Rick and Katie, tangible change was made. Hockey Canada was not taking these allegations seriously. The until their sponsors started pulling money out. That is the only way you can affect tangible change in professional sports now. Unfortunately, if you can get the sponsors to pull out, then you can get some tangible change. And this, we, because what we saw last week, the last two weeks about what happened in 2018 with a couple of members of the world junior team from that year at a golf event where a young woman was I'm not going to I'm not going to get too into details just out of because some people listening might make them uncomfortable and go look up what happened, please. And because that happens, because this came up, that got reported that a settlement was paid out to that victim. It went before um, Canadian Parliament. They had a hearing. They asked a bunch of questions and. One of the parliamentarians in the conservative party up there in Canada had somebody approach him and say something else happened with members of Team Canada. And this happened like 20 years ago. I think it was 2003, 2004, that World Juniors team, where, again, the same exact type of thing happened. And that only came to light because somebody saw that what happened in 2017, 2018 being brought before Parliament. So somebody who knew what happened 20 years ago, came forward and said, well, the same thing happened. And this is all part of a self-fulfilling system. And it's why Andrew and I, it's why people who are deeply invested in hockey, we want better from hockey media and the stakeholders involved. It's not just that something bad happened. It's something bad happened and nobody is doing anything to change it. And it is the most infuriating thing to see when you know these people can do better. You know everybody involved can do more and they just choose not to.
A lot of hockey fans also are, I don't want to say like the majority, but there's the vocal minority. There is a plurality. The the vocal minority on Twitter always jump to the conclusion that it's, you know, like a fake allegation, which is the most ludicrous jump to conclusion that you could possibly make about these things. Like, because not only is this happened multiple times, but like you're assuming that like, Every single one of these things is fake, which cannot like I don't I can't even understand how you have like why you think that way. Like these things are happening in the sport of hockey. And there's not enough credit goes to Rick Westhead and Katie Strang for their reporting, because if they didn't do it, you you wouldn't hear Elliot Friedman talk about it. You wouldn't hear about Darren Drager talking about it. You wouldn't hear about these guys talking about it. Like even on their Twitter, they're pretty much they're pretty silent about these things. And it's very important that these two specifically. Yes, there are other reporters in this involved as well, and they should get respect as well. But these two are the biggest names. That's why I'm mentioning these two in particular. Like these two people are making such a big impact on the on these stories because they deserve to be heard. And to my like, I, I never assume that when an allegation like this of this magnitude, especially becomes public, that it's that it's garbage. Like, I, I can't wrap my head around these people that automatically jump to that conclusion. I think that's psychotic. I legitimately think that's psychotic, especially when this has happened multiple times and, and there's so many stories about this happening. Are, are you just here to assume that everything is peaches and roses in the sport of hockey and like all these stories are garbage? Like, no, dude, like think about this clearly for a second. These things are serious. They are happening not only in our sport, but in the world as well. But this is a hockey podcast. So we're talking about hockey news here. This is happening in our sport. We have to do better. We have to be more vocal about these things. We have to make palpable changes if we if we care so much about our our sport our hockey culture why not want to make it better why do we want to just sweep these things under the rug i don't understand it instead of just deleting them from existence from ever happening again why are so many people in this sport so okay with just sweeping it under the rug and pretending it's not there it is an elephant sized thing that's under the rug like you can't just swipe it down like you can't hide these things like what are we doing here we have to do better there is a real cultural difference with hockey compared to the other sports here in the united states in europe it operates similar to how hockey does where you go to a youth academy you get promoted a team is responsible for you in your development but those teams in europe are affiliated with a major club with a upper division club for the most part if you're a 16 year old 17 year old etc a bigger club is invested in you they've put money and time into you you go to school through the club you play for and that's kind of how junior hockey works in Canada with a little bit of differences. You have things like belay families where people are affiliated with teams. They'll put you up in their home. And we've seen really bad people take advantage of that situation where they abuse people they live with in the belay family system. And hockey is very much so a it's a it's a vacuum because there are so few opportunities to get through that. It is so hard to play hockey, even at high school level, a peewee level because of the barriers to get into the sport. There are so many people invested in just keeping things the way they are. And that's, it's just flat out unacceptable. And everybody who does the, well, why, how do you know this person's telling the truth? But these are people in denial. 
a lot of people are unwilling to accept the fact that things they like have dark sides to them. As much as I love football, as much as I love hockey, these sports have genuine consequences in a culture and impact it has on people and these types of allegations. And if this was a farce, which it's not, Hockey Canada paid out that victim, I believe, upwards of a million dollars and gave a non-disclosure agreement to her to keep this under wraps. And because of that, it was also brought to light that Canada, Team Canada had been, excuse me, Hockey Canada, not Team Canada, had been using registration fees that everybody pays to play hockey in Canada from the youth level up to have a slush fund aside for paying off sexual misconduct allegations because those are uninsurable actions, which I didn't know that was a thing that people in risk assessment worried about, like in charge of an organization. Yeah, we have X number of million dollars aside for when these people who we are in charge of do something illegal and hurt somebody else. It's just absolutely insane when you think about it, it just written out on paper that somewhere on Hockey Canada's ledger was a couple million dollar slush fund used up of people's money to play hockey just to pay to make bad things go away. Just utter insanity. Can you imagine if that happened in the NFL? Can you imagine if like if if something happened in I don't, there's no like minor league system, I guess, for the NFL, but like, let's say, let's say this happened in the NCAA, for example, like, let's say the NCAA has this quote unquote hush fund that they used to, to, to pay people off. Like, can you imagine just how massive of a story this would be? Everybody in the country that, that even has heard about college sports or even hasn't heard about college sports would be talking about this nonstop. Like this is such a massive story that not enough people are talking about. And it's just it, it just confuses me to my core how some people see this and either assume that that it, that people are lying or that this doesn't happen. Hockey Canada literally has a hush fund, dude. Like how what else do what else do you have to see for people for, for you to believe like, hey, these things might be happening in our sport. Like what else do you need, man? So the last thing I want to touch on on this subject before we move on, you don't have to imagine, Andrew, this stuff has happened. Jerry Sandusky was at Penn yep. State all of those yep. years. What happened in the at Michigan State and in Team USA Gymnastics, that happened for all of those years. These are, these are very real things, and it is on the bravery of people who have been abused to come forward and people who have the conviction to say, this might close doors for me professionally, but I cannot just look the other way. And that is, that is ultimately what this conversation comes down to and why we bemoan the lack of aggressiveness from people in the hockey media. I understand that these are people you have professional relationships with, that you consider these people friendly, friends even. And even though you, as a professional reporter, you need to be able to draw a line at some point somewhere in that relationship and say, I know this is going to be uncomfortable for you, but I need to ask you about this because it is my job to do that. And there are just too many people in very prominent positions in hockey media unwilling to say, I need to do more. I, we were talking about it before we started recording. I did a once over a bunch of bunch of the insider accounts. The only one who has retweeted Rick's reporting in the last few days was, I think, Frank Cervelli, a daily face off. But other than that, everybody's on vacation and nobody wants to acknowledge that they're the thing that pays the bills for them is part of a larger problem. And all of those very same people were when 
what Brad Aldridge did came to light last fall. We're saying we all need to do better. We need to be more sensitive towards victims. We need to be more receptive and we need to challenge power structures more. I'm not doing that. They got it good. That's a great job. If you are a reporter who has that insider tab where you get transactions sent to you in an email and you fire off a tweet, it's a great gig to have. I wish I had that job. It is a great gig to have, but that's the way it works. That's why teams outscoop reporters in hockey media. They get the transaction from the league office when a contract or a trade is registered. That's how they know what's going on. Bob McKenzie explained this on, I think it was a free agent frenzy day a couple of years ago during a lull. Everybody who's on TV, who does hockey, they're all on a big email list. When a transaction, whether it be a trade, a contract, somebody sent down to the minors, paperwork goes to the NHL, the NHL sends an email out to all of these people, and they all know. That's why they all tweeted at the exact same time. Occasionally, you get somebody who does get a scoop and beats everybody by a few minutes. But for the most part, they're just sitting around waiting for somebody to tell them what to report. That, that's yeah. what it comes down to. Yeah, it, it it just it really just bothers me, man. Like, uh, it, you you don't see other sports doing this kind of thing where they just blatantly disregard major stories, or you don't see like even even going back to the trade stuff. Like, you don't see, yeah. you know, I I made I I keep making this point, but I'm gonna make it again. Like, when was the last time you really saw Woj or Adam Schefter or like other? big, you know, insiders in other sports get beaten out by team accounts. Like these people know way in advance. They know all the rumors. They know all the potential trades that may happen or, or, you know, were brought to the table and fell apart. Like they know everything. Meanwhile, we have NHL insiders that are getting beaten by team accounts. Like, and you know, these aren't just, Hey, we're trading a seventh round pick for, you know, a ham sandwich. Like, Ryan McDonough got traded a few weeks ago, and I and I know I mentioned it then. I'll say it again now. Like Ryan McDonough is not a seventh round pick. Like Ryan McDonough is has been in the league for a very long time. He was a captain for the Rangers. Like he he was he played a big part in the light in the Lightning runs. Like th- this is a this is a bona fide player, and yet the Lightning beat out insiders for the trade. Vacation like, comes first, Andrew. Yeah, I, listen, I, listen, I I. I Love all the cottages and all the margaritas and all these things. Do your job, man. Like I, I don't know. Let's put it a pin. Let's put a yeah. pin in it there because we yeah. both want to talk about this in our parting shot at the end of the episode. Sure. But that's what it comes down to. We all need to do better. That includes us as yeah. content people, as fans. It, we all need to do better, and that's where we'll end the conversation for now. So, since last week, we've had the one big landmine. What we had a, a true watershed moment in the player empowerment movement in the NHL. A player who was a pending restricted free agent was able to leverage their way out of a situation they didn't want to play play in to a better situation. And it worked out for him. Matthew Kachuk, I always assumed it was going to be the first time Matthews or McDavid got to that point of one year left of their contract before unrestricted free agency. One of them would do it, but Matthew Kachuk, very good player, elite player, not a a generational talent. He's not on that McDavid plane of existence, but he's right below that. He's a franchise cornerstone. You can build your team around him. And the Florida Panthers said, we want him to be the face of our team for the next X number of years. You're going to have him. You're going to have Barkov. You're going to have Ekblad, Spencer Knight, Bobrovsky, and we'll figure out everything else around those guys. That is our group. 
Calgary made out pretty well. They got two pending unrestricted free agents back in Jonathan Huberdeau and uh, Mackenzie Weger. Two very good players. Mackenzie Weger, first pair defenseman. Jonathan Huberdeau, 100-plus point forward. Again, one of the more undersung players of the last couple of years in the NHL. But this trade worked out for both teams, I would say. I think if I had to bet who it works out for better in the long run, I'm inclined to say Florida just because you don't know if Uyghur or not Uyghur. Um, yeah. Mackenzie Uyghur or um, Jonathan Huberto are going to extend their contracts in Calgary. That's the one reason I'm inclined to say, I think Florida probably wins this trade in the long run. So I think that Jonathan Huberto was in this deal because he went to Florida and said, I'm not resigning here because yeah. there, the rumors for a very long time was that, he was going to St. Louis. He was going to this other team. He was going to wherever else. Florida was never mentioned. You I mean think Kachuk, they, right? For Kachuk. Yeah, I just want to be sure. Yeah. Want to be yeah, sure yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For, for, for Kachuk, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, I think the Florida Panthers jumped in late to the party because they got a call or a text from Huberto's agent, maybe from, from Huberto himself, saying you know, like secretly don't make this public, but we request the trade because Jonathan Huberto will not resign here. So Florida said, okay, thank you for letting us know. We are going to find a place for him. And they jumped in on this Matthew Kachuk trade situation. That's how that went down. That's how I think went down. I mean, obviously I'm not a blue, blue check Mark insider. Maybe they should, you know, reach out and figure it out. But hey, I'm not a blue check, blue check insider, so I don't know these things, but that's how I assume that went down because you don't just trade Jonathan Huberto just because you feel like it. I mean, Jonathan Huberto for an up until the trade was a one of the cornerstones of the Florida Panthers. Like you never expected him to be in any sort of trade at all. And and now all of a sudden he's going to Calgary. Hmm, that makes you think that Huberto went to management and said, "Move me because I, I'm not I'm not staying here. So for for Florida, I don't like that they gave up Mackenzie Weger because Mackenzie yeah. Weger is a phenomenal defenseman. I know that Panthers fans might not like him because he made a couple of, of big mistakes in the playoffs this past season, but overall you shouldn't get you shouldn't make the those couple of mistakes the primary focus of the overall game that is that Mackenzie Weger has. He is a very, very good defenseman. So now you you move away one of your cornerstone offensive pieces, which granted Matthew Kachuk is a phenomenal two-way yeah. talent. I mean he's you take a look at his micro stats, like they're all in the 90th percent. Like they're all like super blue. They're all phenomenal. And he's gonna be great in Florida. I have no quarrels about that. But you you major blue line worse and you, you didn't get anybody back for that. There's not a whole lot of defensemen out there in free agency remaining that you can help bolster that blue line with. So you, you're going to rely on Bobrovsky to, to, to stop bucks. Cause I don't, I don't know if you've seen Nick, but that it's kind of shaky sometimes. Like sometimes he's good. Other times it's, it's a rough go. So you really need, to have a blue line as good as possible. And for Florida, they made it worse. And that's my concern from a Panthers fan. 
the Panthers did. Um, so remember a couple of years ago when Tampa got swept in the first round by Columbus and everybody was kind of pounding the table. What are you doing? Why aren't you blowing this up? Why aren't you trying to change things? Florida listened. Florida heard everybody say, you got to get a little more rugged if you want to beat a Tampa in the playoffs going forward. And they went out and they got themselves a rant. They got themselves the next generation's Ma Brad Marshawn, the next younger group of guys down. They went out and got, a hundred point forward who's got a little bit of bite to his game, who's going to annoy people, who's really good on the forecheck, who's really good in transition, somebody who's going to give them that edge. Those the intangible things that hockey people and certain types of hockey fans love. And it's an interesting trade. I, Calgary, if I am Calgary, I think you do everything you can to keep Uyghur. And if you can't keep Huberto, if you can't get him to agree to an extension, you trade him at the deadline and he's the best player available at the deadline. And you get a nice haul for him. You get an A prospect, a first round pick, and then either a mid round pick or a B prospect for a guy who's on your team for five, six months. You make out pretty well. Calgary did the best they could in this situation. I think ultimately Florida ends up doing better in the long run because Kachuk will be on that team. The length of that contract, because it's buyout proofable because it's all signing bonus, which is good for Kachuk because getting that money up front makes take uh, when you get that money up front, it helps when it comes to escrow, which we're going to talk about later in the salary cap portion of the show, the main focus of the show, but Kachuk made out well, the Panthers got a guy they obviously highly coveted and Calgary got two really good players back for somebody who didn't want to be there. So that's a pretty good it's very rare that the superstar trades work out in hockey, but I I see a world in which this one actually isn't bad for either side. But Nick, I, I heard some guy on Facebook say the Rangers were going to get Matthew Kachuk. What I happened? Yeah. Uh, the Rangers have no cap space. Um, yeah, this that's, is that's what happened. This is one of the things I really like when a big transaction like this happens in hockey, where you get people who are in the content side of hockey who are a little bit more open-minded and aren't just your straightforward news people. You start thinking about what this means going forward for pending restricted free agents, for teams with pending restricted free agents, the big, the big takeaways, the things you can learn from in the moment. The, the two things I kept seeing there were number one, the most undervalued asset in the NHL is salary cap space. You can do anything with cap space. The Carolina Hurricanes bought a first round pick with $5 million because they had cap space. The Arizona Coyotes are going to have 30 draft picks over three drafts because they have oodles and oodles of cap space. Just because you have space available does not mean you need to spend all the way to it. Look at what the Rangers did last year. They went into opening night with $9 million in cap space, let that accumulate for the four months up to the deadline, and they could get anybody. The Rangers could have got a whole team of skaters. They could have went out and got 15 guys with the $40 million in cap space they had by the deadline. Just because you have it doesn't mean you need to spend it. And the other big takeaway I saw was, consolidation of talent, which is a concept you see more in the NBA, because in the NBA, you get the crazy lopsided, like four players and three draft picks for a superstar, like what the Lakers did in getting Anthony Davis, where they traded away four roster players and then three first round picks. That's the type of thing we don't really see in hockey a lot. And Florida put 
a first round pick and a first pair, excuse me, a first line wing and a first pair defenseman into the trade machine and got a 24 year old who's going to probably score between 80 and 120 points for the next seven years. So that's the type of aggressive consolidation of talent we don't see a lot in hockey, but I want to see more teams try things like this. I want to see teams more willing to say, okay, this is a truly franchise altering player. Let's go get him. We will worry about the ramifications later. Yeah. I mean, for Florida, like I see what the plan was and I yeah. like that they went for it. I mean, Matthew Kachuk is a player that he, these, these players don't grow on trees. They are, yeah. first of all, like they, they are incredibly hard to find. And it is even more rare, especially in a league like the NHL, where status quo is is every NHL GM's like favorite thing. Yeah. It's very rare for a bona fide star of his caliber to become available via trade. So the Florida Panthers pouncing on this, I I like from their perspective from 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 that point of view. But my only my only kind of you know, drawback is you give up a defense, you give up a really good defenseman, but you don't replace him. So now you make your goaltending need to put up better numbers in order to make up for that. And I guess they trust Bobrovsky and Spencer Knight to do that. But do Panthers fans trust Bobrovsky and Spencer Knight? I don't think so. It's an interesting thing. Florida was a very much a tempo and volume of offense type team. Never really good defensively the last two years when they've really made a big step forward, even though they've had really talented players like Uyghur, like Ekblad, they traded for everybody's favorite defenseman, Ben Chirot in at the deadline this past season. So I get it. It's interesting. And the other big news is that Nazem Kadri, who just won a Stanley cup coming off the best season of his career. I think he had 95 points, something ridiculous like that. I'm going under the assumption. This is going to be the Islanders consolation prize. Uh, when there's just silence around somebody, that usually means Lou Lamorello's involved because he operates under a weird sense of I'm better than you, so I don't have to tell you what I'm doing. And for some reason, the hockey reporters all find it funny and amusing as opposed to condescending, which I, again, I just don't get if somebody knows I'm trying to do my job and they're making my job more difficult for no other reason other than they find it amusing. I, I just don't get it, but I assume this is the Islanders' consolation prize. I'm just curious to see if they're going to move Barzal to wing or not, because they're pretty set down the middle. Brock Nelson just had the best season of his career last year in a lost season. They also have Jean-Gabriel Peugeot, who under contract for, I believe, four more seasons at a reasonable number, and he's a really good third-line center. So because the Islanders have been unable to find an elite winger to play with Matt Barzell, maybe the solution is you get a good center and you move Barzell to the wing. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that happening. Now, again, Barzell has to, one, want to do that, and two, be good at it. Because mm -hmm. it's, it's very difficult for a forward to switch where they play. Because you, you grow up for, you know, you're... For, for a lot of players, they grew up playing one position, whether that if you're a centerman, especially if you're a centerman in the NHL, you've spent the majority of your playing time in your entire life playing center. So, yeah, I mean, especially in, in you know, playing peewee or whatever, like you've played all over the place. But it's, once you've kind of established who you are as a player, you, you kind of stick to that growing up. So because you want to make make your skills in that position as good as as good as it could possibly be so that when you're drafted and you hopefully play in the NHL, that your skills are there and you can be great at what you do for, for, for Barzell, 
the switch to wing would be tough off the bat. And I think if you switch him to wing, he's going to struggle early. Now, would that carry over to the whole season? Probably not. I think the more he plays, the more he'd, be, he'd get comfortable in that in that role. But it is, I think it's harder than people understand. Yes, that for sure. To, and we could talk about this with the Rangers too. Abs- yeah, I have absolutely. a good idea for this. Like it, it, it's even if you're a forward, even switching from left side to right side, because your stick, you hold your stick the same way. So now if you have to switch sides, then you're holding, you know, your stick differently. You're on your off angle. You have to learn angles, right? Because you, because you've been playing, you know, going, what going this way or particular, you know, and you know, okay, if I, if I hold my stick at this angle, then the puck goes this way. If you go, if you flip it to the other side, you have to relearn everything. Like it is really difficult for, for forwards to relearn what they have to do. Even if it's, you know, you're, you're still a forward, you're still playing mostly offense, but there's a lot of nuance that goes into switching your role as a forward. So Barzell, if he does that, he might struggle. Okay, Andrew, I have a hypothetical for you, and then we can talk about the Rangers, the main portion of this episode. So, Mika Zavinijad's seven-year, nine-and-a-half, million-dollar-per-year contract kicks in this fall for this upcoming season. Matt Barzal is two years away from unrestricted free agency. With their contracts attached, who would you rather have right now? Whew, that that's a tough question. Let me tell you how much Barzal yeah. makes. Let me check on that. that that's a tough question, because... Like both, I, first, first of all, like Rangers fans need to understand that Matt Barzell is a really good hockey player. Like I know, I know he wears uh, the jersey that you don't like, and you know whatever. But objectively, you have to look at Matt Barzell's game and understand that he's a really good hockey player. So it's it's a difficult question to ask, and I th- think probably you'd still rather Zabinajad, but I think the answer is a little bit closer than some Rangers fans who want to admit that it is because Matt Barzell is he. First of all, he has nobody playing with him right like for for a lot of the times like he he has players that are underperforming at times or he doesn't have that that superstar Leo Komarov doesn't him. move you yeah leo you know, like, yeah leo Komarov. listen like islanders fans love leo Komarov, or you know maybe not his contract but it, but the the guy you know people i would assume that islanders fans have have a, a fond memory of but like you know Zabinajet has 52 goal score chris Kreider. he has Panarin sometimes he has he has big names that step up and create a lot of offense so at the end of the year when you look at the stats you say oh Zabinijad had a really good year because he had good he has good teammates to play off of and you know the you, you feed the beast that way where if you if you have a star player and there's two people to to eat to his side who don't contribute as much as you would like them to your stats are going to suffer as well. And then you look at the box score and you say, oh, well, you know, player X, like his his stats aren't as high as I thought they'd be or as as I'd like them to be. Well, yeah, put better players around him and then you'll see the numbers go up. Like it's, there's only a a very few amount of players in the world that can carry lines, uh, especially the first line in the NHL. And, you know, you, you, you need players to, you need players surrounding good players to succeed. And, with Barzell, I think like his stats aren't as high as they are. But if you put him on a team like the Rangers, where he has Panarin and 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 you know other players feeding him, and you know vice versa, I think those stats would shoot right up. So it's I think it's a more difficult question than especially Rangers fans want to admit. 
Oh, because this is an argument on on hockey Twitter, probably like twice a season, where I, I'm one of the Ranger fans who, for the differences in them, I mean, yeah, Zabinijad has more counting stats. Uh, Barzell's better in transition. He's four years younger, and he's cheaper. Just being frank, that two and a half million dollar, million and a half dollar difference between the two, that's another roster player. That That's the difference between Dryden Hunt and Tyler Mott on the fourth line this year. And that's the theme of today's episode. We're going to really take a deep dive on the salary cap and the lessons you can learn from teams that have won the Stanley Cup in recent history. The first thing in this long winding conversation that we're about to embark on, which is only going to be like 15 minutes because Andrew and I are both dying of heat stroke right now. It is um, very hot. Yeah. And I, I don't have my AC on. I turn it off because, you know, it makes a lot of noise and we can't have that in the background. Like it is very hot. And and for Nick, yeah, he's he's also battling a cold. He's got his humidifier. He's 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 got that on like max settings. Like we it's very hot and we are <laughs> we're not trying to, you know, it's not it's not a three hour marathon today. Yeah. So the first thing in this conversation Just talking about the salary cap, how it's calculated. So a lot of people don't realize that, you know, this is tied to an actual number. They don't just pick a number out of thin air for what the salary cap is. You can calculate this for yourself. All you need to do any given year, you multiply whatever number the salary cap is that season times the number of teams. And now that we're up to 32 teams for this upcoming season, you would multiply 32 times 82.5 million and you got 2.64 billion which is half of a 5.28 billion so the nhl is forecasting 5.28 billion dollars of revenue for the 2022 2023 season that's based on tv deals and ticket sales that is the the bread and butter of how the NHL calculates its revenue, things like merchandise, the down items, that's more individual team, which doesn't go all the way through. But that $5.28 billion is the working number the NHL is assuming. That's based on their estimates that they've sat down with their money people and calculated. So the NHL has an escrow system because in the collective bargaining agreement, the revenue needs to be split 50-50 between the owners and the players. That is why you see certain players complaining about escrow. I know Chris Pronger did a thread about this a couple of weeks ago on his personal Twitter account. But if for some reason the revenue split doesn't work out and the players end up with a bigger than 50% split of that five point two eight billion dollars, they would have they have a portion of every salary check every game check they get the nhl players get paid i think it's every week and then on the road it's a little bit different but for the purposes of this exercise every single check they get or in this case direct deposits because we're in the 21st century but you go down and there's going to be a portion of your check that's withdrawn it's not social security it's not taxes it is for escrow that money is taken aside and held out of the contract. And because we have been in a flat cap the last three seasons, the players have been paying off a, I think the number was $2.5 billion debt from the the pandemic plus season, the bubble playoffs with no fans, and then only a 56-game season last year. So all of that money has been going aside for the last three years to pay off that debt. And once that debt is paid off, we will see a more significant jump in the salary cap than the $1 million we've seen from last year to this upcoming season. Most years, I went back and looked at this during the course of my research of the day. Where are my post Here we go. 
Uh, most of the last few years, the salary cap before the three-year pause went up about two to two and a half million dollars per year. So roughly assuming that holds true here, you'd be looking at an $85 million salary cap in a year from now, in theory, if everything works out. So that's the baseline we're working with here and understanding where the money's coming from, how it's calculated, and how they pick the salary cap. So the first thing we're going to touch on here, and I have handy dandy visuals, which will be very, very straightforward, and it'll help me keep moving. So let me get it here. Share. By the way, you can tell that this is the this is the best Rangers podcast in town because Nick has not only has been researching this for days now, he has one visuals about this and two. My man's got post-it notes. Man, yeah. like what other what other podcast cares about you that deeply? This man's got post-it notes. Hey, this I'm is the, very, like where else are you gonna find this content? I'm post-it an old notes, head. man. I'm an old head in the sense that when I'm doing something and I need to remember to do something, I do still rip a post-it off and put it on my computer screen to keep it in mind that while I'm working, I need to circle back around to do this. Nick Zoraris is single-handedly keeping the post-it business alive. It's 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 exclusively Nick Zoraris. He's got stock in, in every single company. Uh, okay, forget it. I'm not going to be able to pull up the visuals because I'd have to quit out of Zoom because I had to change my screen personnel, my screen sharing settings, which is annoying. And I forgot that that's a thing, but I can read them. I'll keep it moving. I won't go through the full. Can you do it in post? Would uh, it be available? I can do it in post. Yes, I can. It'll do it be in up on our watch. YouTube at Liberty yes. on, on Liberty Blue podcast. If you go after the show and if you miss some of it or if you wanted to see some of Nick's incredible visuals, go on our YouTube. The whole video with Nick's visuals will be there. Yes, that, that is a, a good idea, Andrew. So I will start through this very, very quickly. The big idea here is you can't have too much money tied up in any one thing. Everybody is familiar with the drill tweet. I have this number of money. I'm spending $2,600 a month on candles. My family is dying. Somebody please help me. That is how I explain the salary cap to people who aren't fluent in it. So the first thing we can touch on here is how much is the most expensive player on your team making? And for a while, there was this general idea that if you had somebody who was making more than $10 million a year, you probably weren't going to be able to win a Stanley Cup because the difference between somebody getting paid $8.5 million and $10 million, their difference in production isn't enough to justify that $1.5 million, which could be somewhere else in your lineup. So for the last seven teams to win the Stanley Cup, we have Colorado, Tampa twice, the Blues, Washington, and Pittsburgh twice. Pittsburgh, their most expensive player, Evgeny Malkin, 13% of the salary cap. Washington, Ovechkin, 12.7% of the cap. St. Louis, outlier. They had two players making $7.5 million, Ryan O'Reilly, Vladimir Tarasenko. That's only 9.5% of your total salary cap. Tampa twice, They the first time they won the cup, their most expensive player was Nikita Kucherov, 11.7%. Second time, again, Kucherov, 11.7. And Andre Vasilevsky got a massive raise between the first and second cup. Also, same number, 9.5 million, 11.7%. Colorado this year, most expensive player. Miko Rantanen, 9.25 million, 11% of the salary cap. The Rangers' most expensive player right now is Artemi Panarin. He makes 14% of the salary cap. That is the most expensive percent of cap. Of any player in the league that isn't Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, or Austin Matthews, Panarin is that tier of player. I do not know if he is that he's worth that contract. Of course, you sign him as an unrestricted free agent, you're going to have to pay a little bit more 
because he's an unrestricted free agent. Them's the breaks. We, we talk about this all the time. When you can get a get a franchise altering player, you can say, okay, we got to do it. We'll figure out the cap later. And that's what the Rangers did. Panarin is a truly great player. We talked about it a few weeks ago. If the Rangers are going to win a Stanley Cup in this, this the next few years, they're going to need Panarin to play like he's the best player on the team. It's one of those things where we, we talked about Panarin extensively also after the playoffs. Like He can't play the way that he did in the in, against the Lightning. He just can't do it. Like Panarin makes too much money. He's better than that. And he, if if he plays the way that he did it deep in the, into the playoffs, then we got a problem on our hands because that makes Panarin's contract immovable. Because if 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 Pan, like Panarin gets paid like he's a bona fide superstar, and when he's on his game, he is a bona fide superstar. He's incredible at this at the game of hockey, and that's why he gets paid like royalty. The problem comes when he doesn't play like that, and he didn't really play like that during the playoffs. I've maintained over previous episodes i'll say it again here i think panarin was injured for the vast majority if not the entirety of the playoffs because he looked very sheepish wasn't very good on defense at all he pretty much only appeared on the power play when the rangers had one didn't do much of anything at five on five i would think that moving forward that kind of gets addressed a little bit i do think he was injured even though ranger you know the rangers didn't say anything which what else is new but i i, I do think that panarin is better than what we saw deep in the playoffs, but that is a concern. And if he continues down that path, the Rangers will probably have to attach assets to move that contract. If that day finally comes. And that is one of the worst case scenarios when you sign a player like that, because that, that reminds us of the, of the two thousands Rangers where they signed everybody for a, a trillion dollars, like Bobby Holik and all these people. And then a year, you know, a year or two in their contract, they realize, Oh, they're not worth this money. We got to get rid of this guy. Like the, the worst case is, is that that happens to Panarin. Hopefully it doesn't, but that's one thing that you have to keep in mind when you sign players that that to that kind of money. The Rangers are so bad at free agency that the league had to make a rule about how bad the Rangers were at free agency. <laughs> Wade Redden's contract literally was so bad that the Rangers made him disappear to Hartford, Connecticut, never to be seen again. And the league said, okay, we can't let rich teams who have the money to afford to do that, be able to do that. That's By the way, the like right, right. wasn't that bad. Like I, I, I know like Rangers fans, some Rangers fans don't like Ray Redden, but like he wasn't as bad as some people like made him out to be. He wasn't amazing by any stretch of the imagination, but like he was Still an NHL player now. Like if 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 Libor Hayek gets signed to a Wade Redden like contract, then you know then like that like that is red flag, red alert territory. But like for for what it is, like Wade Redden wasn't that bad. Like I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm in the minority here, but like I think I think he was ousted by the team and and by the fans. Maybe oh, yeah. maybe too much there because that it was. I, I don't like the way that the Reddit situation was handled, but that's, you know, not, neither here nor, nor there. Okay. So the next thing we have here on the, the series of visuals, it's a simple bar graph. It is a simple concept. There is a scene in the movie Moneyball where Jonah Hill sits in Brad Pitt's office and he's explaining to him the idea for how to build a team smarter that because they don't have the resources of other teams. It comes down to a very simple idea. You need to score more than the other team does. There are a few ways that make it easier to do that. 
ideally you want to have as many guys who can score as possible so that you're not putting the bulk of responsibility for scoring on one single guy. And then it becomes more difficult for them to produce commiserate with their contract. So in the movie, he says, you shouldn't be thinking about buying players. You should be thinking about trying to win games. You win games by scoring runs. Principle rings true here. You need to think about winning hockey games by scoring more goals than the other team. It is easier to do that than it is to win every single game two to one. Trying to win every single game two to one, three to two is how you age your goalie in dog years. Your fans die a slow and painful death. And what the Rangers have insisted on doing for the better part of 14 years, which explains why Andrew and I are the way we are. But the theory working here is you want to pay for as little as every single goal you score as possible, because that means you have reasonable spending across your lineup. You're not bulk spending on one or one particular player or line and making them responsible for all your offense. Ideally you want to pay for as little as offense as possible. But the problem is because offense is the most valuable thing in hockey. Those are the guys who get paid. There's a reason Panarin makes what he makes McDavid, uh, Matthews, Marner, etc. Offense is always going to be more valuable in defense. It is why defensemen will never make the money that forwards do. It is why forwards will always, always, even when we're talking about someone like Kale McCarr, Adam Fox, the best forward, so someone like Austin Matthews last year, will always be more valuable than Kale McCarr or Adam Fox because offense is more valuable than defense. So over the last couple of years, so Pittsburgh, 306,000 per goal the first time. 279,000 per the second cup, Washington, 294,000, St. Louis, 324,000, Tampa's first cup, 330,000, Tampa's second cup, they had a $98 million salary cap. So this number is way different from the rest, 54,900. And then Colorado, uh, excuse me, 549,000. And then Colorado, 265,000. So you want to be somewhere in that high 200,000, low 300,000 per goal range. Otherwise, you're paying too much for offense. Otherwise, you are paying for guys who don't produce offense, which is unfortunately something we see the Rangers are doing. They have several guys in their lineup who are paid commiserate with somebody who produces offense. And like I just said before, you want to be paying for offense. Defense, while valuable, is not as valuable as offense. So when you're giving somebody like Barkley Goodrow, who's only going to score 11, 12 goals, $3.6 million, you can buy a guy who can score 20 to 25 goals for 3.6 to $4 million. That's the way you need to be thinking in terms of your roster construction here. It's not just, can this guy but do this? Nick, this he guy? has cup rings. He's won Stanley Cups. And that is valuable. That is yeah. definitely something that is valuable. But this he is was on I, the roster. This is something I try and explain to people. So there's an episode of Family Guy where Peter has a Peter goes to see a timeshare guy and he tells him, you can either have a boat or what's in the magic box. And Peter takes the magic box because he says there could be a boat in the magic box instead of the boat. That is what people who are saying. I want a team of intangibles and gritty guys is doing. They are taking the possibility that guys with intangibles can rise to the occasion as opposed to the best team possible. It is the most ludicrous thing in the world when I see people saying, well, you can't ha if he can't play in the top six, he shouldn't play because he's too good. 
you can have good players in the bottom six. That is a good thing. In an ideal world, you would have a lineup of 12 Connor McDavid's, six Kale McCars, and two Igor Shesterkins, and you would win the Stanley Cup every single year with that team. You can't do that because the salary cap exists and we can't clone well yet. So until that happens, you're going like, to have like to... How you, I like how you slipped at the yet as if, you know, we're going to... There there will be a day. There will be a day in the hockey world that we will see 12 Connor McDavid's on the same team. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but that day may come eventually, right? Maybe it'll be hockey robots. They'll have to play because we won't be able to freeze water anymore because it'll be too hot to have ice. And we're going to sure. have to have robots who can like skate is this on the dirt future or something. Of, is this the future of esports, Nick? Is that is that where we're going? Where instead of just playing out on, uh, you know, out in the beach because we can't freeze water anymore, we'll just be playing EA Sports, NHL, you know, 22.84 because it's the same game year, 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 year in and year out. It very well might be. Okay, the last thing in our series of visuals here, I'm not going to go through all of them because they're all generally in the same split, is just what teams have tied up per position group. So you think forwards, defensemen, goalie. Most teams, you would think, have the bulk of their spending in their forwards, and that rings true. Most teams that have won the Stanley Cup the last number of years, they're somewhere between 55 and 60% of their salary cap are in their forwards. We're going to go a layer deeper in the next part of this, which doesn't have a visual, unfortunately. But And then somewhere between 30 and 35% is going to be on defense. And then whatever's left is on goaltending. For the most part, teams that go to the Stanley Cup do not have a super expensive goalie. Vasilevsky, outlier. He is the first time he has been a goalie has been the most expensive player on a roster in the salary cap era to win a Stanley cup first player, first goalie to ever be that. So that is an outlier. That is something that you put in your data. You keep in mind, but that is not something that's not going to ring true all of the time. The Rangers Shesterkin sitting around six and a half, $6 million. That's a reasonable number for your goalie. The Rangers split was very clean. 60, 30, 10 for that's what they sit at going into next season. I'm assuming it's going to go to 61, 30, uh, 61, 29. Once we figure out Kako's number, it'll be a le- probably 61, 62% will be in forwards. But the Rangers numbers wise, they're in a reasonable group. They are in a reasonable split in how they spend their money. And I was a little bit surprised to see that considering how much they pay for defense. Like they're going to be paying $20 million for three defensemen. And then the other three defensemen are going to be on entry-level contracts. So I was a little bit surprised to see the Rangers in that grouping. But, hey, anything you can do to assuage my concerns, I'm happy, hockey gods. Yeah, pretty much. I like the, And Truba is the one contract that, if need be, like might be the one to go in that situation. Granted, you might have to attach an asset in order to, to make that happen. Now, I don't really know what Jacob Truba trade market would even be. I would imagine that because he's Jacob Truba, people remember the the hits that, you know, the the big hits that he made in the playoffs, that there's always going to be a market for him because, you know, person go boom and Jacob Truba delivers the hits and you know, regardless of how he plays, sometimes, you know, we talked about this before, like regardless of how he plays, sometimes he's great. Sometimes he's not, uh, it, it's a, like Jacob Troop is kind of a wild card, but like for, for salary cap purposes, it's always interesting to, to, to think about like how much you're paying per goal as opposed yeah. to kind of fitting 
pieces based off of your jigsaw puzzle where if you're looking at things if you're at the trade deadline and you and you have a team let's say trying to fit in players that fit a need but also can do things for you on the ice i like is so is so much more valuable than going after somebody who's great in the locker room which doesn't mean anything because like you know, Ryan Reeves, we've talked about him for seemingly every episode, but like he's just a really good example of this where he's great in the locker room, but when you're out on the ice and you need a goal, he's not going to give it to you. And you're paying him nearly $2 million for that, which that money could have been out. If you never gave Ryan Reeves that one year extension, Tyler Mott would be on this team right now. And that fourth line would be a lot better. So yep. it's very important to think about, you know, the, the long term. Like if you're if you're fitting in pieces into your jigsaw puzzle, it's very important to think about. Okay, not only how does this piece piece fit, uh, piece fit if I could speak properly, into the into the puzzle this season. But if they're signed longer than this, if you're if they're signed longer than one year, how do they fit next season? Because if they don't fit next season, we got a problem. Andrew, drink some water. We're we're getting dehydrated here. Yeah, I'm looking at my, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you, why we're you, both slurring our words. You are shining, by the way. Yeah. If you, yeah. You know, if you're if you're not watching on on video and you're listening to the show, I mean, my guy Nick is is is, you know, like he's 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 like just as if the sun is like right next to him, and my guy is just shining. So, like, if you ever see those those photo shoots with like with models with like oil all over themselves or whatever, like they're just they're glistening in the sun. Like that's kind of what you look right now. Like that you're it's it's it it looks like you're not having a great time. Uh, while you were talking, I looked at my forearm and I saw sweat on my arm. Like I just yeah. got out of the shower. How wet I am. So we're gonna start wrapping up here. Last five ten minutes. So the last point on the salary cap before we do parting shots. Get out of here. Of the teams to win the Stanley Cup in the last grouping since 2016, not including that, from the first of the Pittsburgh repeats up until Colorado this year, it's not so much how much they spend per position group, how much they spend per goal. The most important thing is having guys who produce more than what their cap hit is. When you go through and look at what these teams are paying for their guys, they all have somebody, at least one, if not two or three guys, who are making significantly less money than what their production was worth. So I was using Evolving Wilds um, standings above replacement tool. They have a calculator. It's how they do their contract projections. So of the last couple, so Colorado, the obvious one, Nathan McKinnon, only 6.3 million, worth closer to nine. Miko Rantanen, 9.25, worth closer to 12. Kale McCarr, who was an entry level contract cap hit, $14 million worth of value. <laughs> that's, 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 those are video game numbers that you're just describing right there. Like, yes. To, to Bring, have somebody making nothing and, to, you know, by by the by the calculator worth 14 million dollars in this in this cap league that's insanity Braden point a very obvious one 6.65 million for both of the tampa cups 9.1 million for the first one and then last year the year they beat montreal 16 million dollars worth of value anthony sorelli the first cup the one against dallas entry-level contract Second round pick, 700,000, 11.6 million of value. 
just that's the kind of value you're going to need to have in your lineup if you're going to win a Stanley Cup. Andre Vasilevsky, the first cup, only made three and a half million dollars for that year. 15 goals saved above replacement, 920 save percentage. You need to find those values. That's the thing. I'm not going to go through the rest of these because you're getting my point here. When you think about the Rangers, who's paid less than what they produce right now? It's just the guys on the entry-level contracts at this point. Adam Fox, he got his payday. Zabinijad got his payday. The last couple of years, Zabinijad, he was one of those under-market value contracts. Even Ryan Strom, I was curious to see, was a below-market-value contract the last couple of years for the Rangers. That's the kind of thing. Now, when you think about where the Rangers are at, that means Lafreniere, Kako, Ke'Andre Miller, Vitaly Kraftsov, maybe, Filipino. Those are your candidates. Can any of those guys give you seven, eight million dollars worth of production while only getting paid four, five million dollars at the most? That's what the Rangers are going to need if they're going to push for a Stanley Cup in the next year or two. One, two, probably realistically, you're going to need like three or four of those guys to turn into bona fide good NHL players if the Rangers are going to win the Stanley Cup with this group. Yeah, that's a really good point. And when you think about it that way, it's it becomes a much more palatable kind of thought process that yes. you that you that you go through when you think about roster construction, where every, you know every single year there are players on Stanley Cup winning teams that get paid less than they should, but are delivering at such a high clip that they push the team over the top and the cup is delivered to that team. So when, if, when you sign players, you have to think, okay, I'm signing, you know, player X to a $3 million cap hit. If we get to the, the conference finals or the cup final or whatever, can this player perform better than his contract says he should? If the answer is no step away from that player, because at the end of the day, when it gets to the the biggest stages, you need everybody to perform and you need people stepping up when, you know, the, the, the top six are going to get the most attention, right? It's the, it's the third line winger. It's the fourth line center that, Will, that won't get as much attention by the top defenseman from the, from the other team. And those are the kind of players that really need to step up when, when all the lights are on you, when you're, let's say you're tied or you're down a goal and you really need somebody to come in and, and, and inject some energy into the team and score a goal or make a really good play. Those are the kinds of players that you need to be looking at. If you sign somebody, you know, if you sign Barclay Goudreau to this massive contract, is Barclay Goudreau really going to score that game-tying goal for you in the Game 7 of the, of the Stanley Cup Final? Answer's probably not. So do you do you give him that kind of big contract? I mean, I get it. Like, he's got cups. He was on the roster. Like, I get it. But okay. so is he I worth that contract? Point here. I have an interesting point for you here because Goudreau, I, I did look up all three guys on that Tampa third line because everybody wanted to talk about it. All three of those guys, including Yanni Gord, who got an extension during the course of those two cups, all three of those guys produced more value than their cap hit. Barkley Goodrow was only getting 925000 a season the two years he was in Tampa, and he was producing $1.75, $1.8 million worth of value. <coughs> Excuse me. At that kind of cap hit, he is worth it. Blake Coleman was only getting $1.8 million per year. He's getting north of five now up in Calgary. 
he was getting paid one and a half. He was producing three and a half million worth of value. That is what you need from your secondary guys. And then, which this is not a given, you need your good guys to play like they are your good guys. We talked about it with Panarin. You need to see more from Zabinijad. You need to see more from Kreider. You need to see more from Truba. If you're going to be the most expensive guys in the lineup, you got to play at least what you're worth, if not more. When you start having negative value, that is when you run into issues in your roster construction and when things start to get more difficult. And yeah, this is how I think about hockey, especially in the offseason. Where are you getting your players? Are you drafting them, trading them, signing them? That's where you start from. And then are you signing guys to a second contract or are you trading them while they're you're, they're restricted free agents? That's the way you got to think about roster construction. It's not just who's available, who can I get? All of these little things add up over time. It's why you can't build a cup winner overnight and you have to have good process over a long period of time. And the Rangers had a process. We don't know if it was a good one yet. We still need to see what all of these young guys on their entry-level contracts end up being. But this is some food for thought. This is a different way of thinking about roster construction during the lull of summer. And it's something I do often. There are always different ways to approach thinking things. There's a lot of really good information that's free on the internet. I did all of this research today with Cat Friendly and a $5 Patreon subscription to Evolving Wild. You can do a lot of really interesting research for free. And if you have Google Docs, you don't even need Excel. I I was flying today. I didn't even have to divide, Andrew. I was just putting the equal sign into a cell, saying this cell divided by that cell, and that's the percentage. I didn't even have to do math today. And this research was pretty easy to do. And I encourage you as a Which fan, is the most important thing to get me on board with anything is if, if, if there's no math involved, I'm in. Anything else, I'm out. This is what I encourage everybody. It helps you be more invested as a fan. The more informed you are, the more likely you are to care about something. And the more you care about something, the more likely you are to listen to our podcast. So with that, that's really what it comes down to here. Trying to grow the hockey community a little bit at a time and try and make it so it's not just, a, well, the stat guys are over on that side of Twitter. Yeah, we like to argue with charts and numbers and that kind of stuff. But we, at the end of the day, we just want to win a Stanley Cup, too. We and also bring diff- evidence. Like yes. The number, like, you know, the numbers are not the end all be all. So, like analytics aren't the end all be all, but they are part of the evidence that we yeah. bring to the table when we uh, when we argue about something. Saying that this dude got it, got the dog in him or like he's got the intangibles. That's not evidence. Like at least when we bring analytics, not in or, hockey, not yeah. hockey, and and football yeah. and basketball having dog in you matters. And hockey, Listen. it's not as much. Listen, I mean, I, everybody. If you're playing in the NHL, you should have that dog in you yes. because you're you're playing in the you know you're playing the top league in the world. You should at this point of your career have that dog in you, right? So analytics are a very good way of explaining things about your game that you can't really explain via the eye test, right? Like, yes. you know, how, how good you are on transition, like how, how good you are at entry, entry zone passes, right? Like these things are calculated by analytics. You can't really, you know, you could watch a ton of games, but ultimately having that number in front of you saying like, okay, this, this dude is really good at passing out of his own and creating a scoring opportunity or, or he's really bad at it, right? Like analytics are a very good way of, of showing that and illustrating that. So while 
you know, the numbers can sometimes be misleading, and you have to be you have to be careful because they're not the they're not the the entire picture of how a player plays. At least that's you know it's part of the evidence that we bring to the table. Like if you just say like that guy's got that dog in him, or you know he's he's a gritty player, what does that mean? What does that mean? Nobody knows. Everybody's got a different definition of what gritty means. He he gets to the dirty areas. What does that mean? Everybody has a different definition of what the hell that means. Nobody really knows. It's all just garbage, bro. Like at least with analytics, it's it's pretty clear cut. Like, hey, this dude cannot pass out of his zone, or this dude is really good at it. Like, it's it's a lot clearer of a picture when you use analytics. That's that's all I'll say. Definitely some food for thought, a different way of thinking about things. Now, Andrew and I are actually going to have to really start using our brains because we're going to be in August and I'm not arguing line combinations until training camp opens. So we're going to have to get creative with ideas. We, we got some things maybe I, I I'll, I'll, that's what I'll use my brain this week on trying to come up with some ideas for that. Uh, you went first last week. I'll start this week with parting shots. It's a very simple idea. Matt Dumba of the Minnesota Wild said this during the bubble playoffs. After the NHL had the long hiatus because of the pandemic, they came back in the bubble. They were divided into the Eastern and the Western. This was in the Western bubble where the Wild were. The NHL was really, really trying to not be the one league to not have its players actively making social justice statements during the height of the George Floyd protests when that stuff was going on. Everybody remembers the Bucs refused to play against the Magic that day and that kind of, on the Tuesday. And then it kind of started a trickle down effect where across the leagues, all of the sports, people said, no, we're not playing. We want to bring attention to this because we're passionate about this. Matt Dumbo, the Minnesota Wild, the NHL gave him a microphone. They had him say a few words, and he said, and this is what I always say, hockey is a great game. It could be a whole lot better. And that is ultimately what it comes down to for me, for Andrew, for a lot of the people I am friends with in the hockey community. We love this game. We feel welcomed here. We feel safe here. And the fact that there are people who don't, who've had negative experiences, who've been traumatized because of hockey, That really, that eats at me. That makes me feel guilty. That makes me feel like we as a sport aren't doing enough because everybody doesn't get to have the same positive experience. All of the friends I've had because of hockey, the professional obligations, the professional opportunities I've had because of hockey, all of the awesome stuff I've gotten the opportunity to do over the years. That just because that it was hockey has been good to me does not mean it's good for everybody. And we can do more. Andrew was talking about it before in the context of the insiders doing more than just tweeting the email they get from the league office. We can all do more to be more welcoming, to be more friendly, to not be dismissive of other people. That's all I'm saying here, man. Try your best to make hockey a better place for other people. The game is doing better. We are holding people in power more accountable for their actions. That is a start. It's on all of us. It can't just be when there is a clear cut, okay, this person did something bad. We all need to gather around and say, okay, this person needs to be removed from their job. It can't just be when that stuff like that is happening. Constantly be vigilant. Constantly call bullshit when you see it. And that's my parting shot. When you see bullshit in the hockey community, call it out. Help the community be a better place because hockey is good, but it could be a whole lot better. 
that's that's a great point. And my parting shot is pretty much along the same vein as yours is just stop being quiet. Like I, I owe my whole life and career to the sport of hockey, right? Like I played as I played goalie. That's why I'm crazy uh, at a young age. Like I was a goaltender and because I clearly wasn't good enough, I moved away from being, you know, a goaltender. Uh, but like I, I, I owe my whole career to the sport because, because of hockey, I went into journalism and why I, you know, have, you know, this podcast, why I have my other podcasts, like why I work in sports media. Funny enough, hockey's reason why I work in basketball. Uh, even though I love basketball, don't get me wrong. Like I, I'm unfortunately a Knicks fan. I've been a Knicks fan for a very long time. Like, you know, hockey is the reason why hockey is like shaped my whole career, my whole life, basically. Right. So the idea that hockey is this flawless thing, this, this enigma that, can't get better is absolutely ludicrous, right? Like the over the course of the past 25 years, which is how long I've been alive on this, on this space rock, like hockey on the ice has become a lot cleaner. There are far less headshots, right? Like the sport of hockey during the game is doing a lot of things to improve the sport and improve the quality of life for the people that are playing it. You don't see Scott Stevens running around with his elbow directly into people's skulls anymore. You don't see that anymore. I mean, it does happen, but it happens a lot less frequently than it used to because I don't know if you know this, Nick, but like brains are kind of important and if brains turn to tomato soup, we got a problem on our hands and the NHL finally is like, Hey, maybe we should, maybe we should keep people's brains intact. And, and now over the course of the last 25 years, we've seen the NHL be be better on the ice as a result of maybe caring just a little bit more about what goes on up here, right? The same thing can happen off the ice as well. We know that things that are illegal and are disgusting and terrible happen off the ice in the sport of hockey. It is a, it is a fact. So we as, as a community, as hockey fans, have to do better to make sure that when things happen, we are not quiet about it. We're not silent about it. We want to eradicate these issues at the root, not just by, you know, performative actions by, you know, retweeting something once and then never thinking about it again. We want to cause positive change in the sport of hockey so that these issues are totally erased from our favorite sport. I love this sport to death. Why not make it better for everybody involved? It has treated Nick very well. It has treated me very well, but it hasn't treated everybody really well. And that's the problem. Hockey should be for everybody. Hockey is a sport where we, we love this sport so much. We want to share with everybody. We want everybody on the planet to play hockey and we, so we, we can all enjoy it together. But right now, not every Everybody is on the same page when it comes to the sport. The sport has taken advantage of some people unfairly, disgustingly, and it needs to change now. And it starts with us not being quiet about it. That'll do it for uh, this week's show. You can follow the show on all your major social media platforms. We're Liberty Blue Pod on YouTube, where you'll find the full video episode of this podcast and our first six episodes, Liberty Blue Podcast on YouTube. The show will be up sometime, hopefully Monday night, Tuesday morning on YouTube. It'll be available for audio sometime on Monday night. You can follow Andrew at Chelney Andrew on Twitter, C-H-E-L-N-E-Y. Follow me at Nick Zararis, Nick, Z-A-R-A-R-I-S. I'm sweating my ass off, Andrew. Let's get these people out of here. Let's do it, man. Talk to you next week.